Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and today we're going to do a 101 on Bitcoin Satoshi Vision, or BSV, with Mr. Jimmy Wynn of Enchain. You'll learn a lot about him in the upcoming episode. And I want to talk about why I'm doing this because of the controversial nature of Bitcoin Satoshi Vision and its chief scientist, Dr. Craig Wright. I like to do 101s on all projects, especially top market capped projects. To get this information out in a way that we understand what the projects are working on, the people that are behind it, I ask the questions to allow people to look into a little bit deeper about the motives, the origins, the project, the tech, the philosophies behind these projects. This allows them to go through and do their own due diligence. I don't want to be biased in this show. Of course, I have my own opinions. And my own personal opinions are expressed in my own personal Twitter, on Facebook, or in rants or commentaries that are labeled rants or commentaries. And I usually do this when I see fit or something that really strikes me and I'm passionate about that I want to share my opinion. With this episode, I just want to ask what the coin is. Why it's different from Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, why Dr. Craig Wright is such a controversial character, how he laid claims to the copyright of the Bitcoin white paper, and more. So please don't think of this episode as an endorsement or a criticism of this coin. It is merely a 101. Also, please stay tuned to the end of this episode where I play a little clip from an episode with Mr. Jameson Lop from Mr. Michael Shionai and myself's New York Blockchain Week collaboration series, where he talks about compiling a lot of research on Dr. Craig Wright. Those links will also be in the description. And one more thing, this show is standalone, not a 101 combined with other companies or projects or people because of the controversial nature. I didn't think it would be fair to the other companies to compile them like I usually do with Bitcoin SV in the same one-on-one episode. I don't know their feelings. I don't know how it would affect their brand or people's perception of their brand. So I decided to make it standalone. Remember, this is not financial advice, investment advice, trading advice, or personal advice. Follow us on Twitter, crypto underscore underscore 101, Matthew underscore underscore 101, and join our Facebook group, Crypto 101. And don't forget to become patrons to help me support reaching out to people like this and making nice, timely shows. Enjoy the conversation and remember to stick around for Mr. Jameson Lop. Jimmy Wynn, Chairman of the Strategic Advisory Board for N-Chain. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about an amazing topic in the crypto space. We're going to talk about Bitcoin SV or BSV. And we're going to talk about not only the creation, what it does, the differentiations between this chain and other chains. And you had some news come out today that we're going to wait for the end because it's kind of juicy. But first, let's talk about one, what you do with N-Chain, how you're related to BSV and the origins of BSV. Sure. So N-Chain is, of course, most known for our chief scientist, Dr. Craig Wright. He's a, you know, obviously one of the most famous and provocative figures in Bitcoin. And, you know, people have debated for years whether he is Bitcoin's secret creator, Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, Bitcoin SV is the uh, chain supported by our company, as well as our partners, CoinGeek, Calvin Air's organization. And I used to be CEO of Enchain for a while. And now I've taken a more strategy role to help uh, lead strategy while I also lead the Bitcoin Association, which is an industry organization dedicated to growing the whole Bitcoin SV ecosystem. So I wear many hats. But my main overall role is to support the growth of Bitcoin SV, which is the only Bitcoin project following the original Bitcoin design 
protocol and Satoshi Vision. What is the original design protocol and Satoshi Vision? How do you define that? Well, if you have been following Bitcoin for a while, you know there's been these debates for the last few years about whether BTC, which people think is the original Bitcoin now, Bitcoin Core, should scale, right? Um, it's been locked at one megabyte blocks and pursued off-chain scaling solutions with the Lightning Network and introduced segregated witness. That's not the original Bitcoin design. Bitcoin, if you look back to early Satoshi writings, it was very clear Satoshi Nakamoto intended Bitcoin to scale massively, to exceed Visa and MasterCard levels of throughput capacity. So a key part of the original Bitcoin design is a stable protocol rather than making constant developer changes to the protocol, keep it stable so it's sound money and let it massively scale. Bitcoin Core has not done that and veered away from the Satoshi vision. We thought Bitcoin Cash was going to do that, and we supported it for a while after it forked in August of 2017. But last year, it became clear to us that the Bitcoin Cash lead developers wanted to make serious changes to the protocol. And we believe you need to keep the protocol frozen, um, like the Internet protocol does not change often. Right. And companies can build comfortably websites and mobile apps on it. We want to restore right. the original Satoshi version 0.1 client software, let that protocol stay and let it massively scale. And that's why we fought a, the world's first Bitcoin hash war last November uh, on the Bitcoin cash chain to make sure the original Bitcoin protocol survived. And it has in the form of Bitcoin SV. That's why we named it SV, Satoshi Vision. Our path is very simple. Restore the original Satoshi protocol, which will be done by February of next year to remove lots of the changes Bitcoin Core and other people made to it. Remove all restrictions, lift the block cap, go for massive scaling, and we're already at 128 megabyte default block caps. And our lead developers announced for our July protocol upgrade, lifting the default cap to two gigabytes. So that's 2000 megabytes on a path to lifting the cap entirely and letting miners just configure whatever block cap they want. Why is this important? And I'm asking this question from a point of view of why is it important to go back to Satoshi's vision and not use sure. your name as a trademark, but yeah. just mm -hmm. saying that Satoshi's vision, you know, Bitcoin has done its thing. It's working on its different scaling solutions. It's different path of creating a product. The fork of Bitcoin Cash, as we all know about the different forks of gold and diamond and anonymous and all these other ones. Why is it so important for you to go back and be almost like a extreme maximalist? Um, the reason is it's necessary for Bitcoin's network to survive long term. Bitcoin's genius was an economic system more than a technology system, right? And so if we do not scale the Bitcoin network massively, Bitcoin will die because mining rewards will not be profitable enough in years to come in order for miners to keep sustaining the network. So next year, we're going to have another block reward happening, right? This happens about every four years. Currently, if you're a miner and you hit a block, you get 12.5 coins. Next year, about a year from today, it will go down to 6.25 coins. And four years after that, 3.25 coins. So the economic design of Bitcoin always envisioned that miners had to make up more revenue in something else as the block reward cut in half every few years. And that something else must be higher amounts of transaction fees. 
And because we want transaction mm-hmm. fees always to be very small, you know, it has to be cheap to transact on the Bitcoin network. That means you need to fit more and more individual transactions into a block, and which means you need much bigger blocks. So as the block reward cuts in half, miners to stay profitable have to make more in transaction fees. And if you stick to the BTC path of keeping the block small at one megabyte, miners are not going to earn transaction fees, right? Because the blocks are so small, they don't fit a very large number of transactions. And by moving the transactions off the chain to the Lightning Network, the miners, if you're unless you're participating in that Lightning Network, you're not making transaction fees. So starting next year, when the block reward cuts in half to 6.25 coins, you can't bank just on the price skyrocketing of an individual coin. And so mm-hmm. the vision of Satoshi has always been, and this is clear from early writings, block reward progressively cuts in half. Over time, the network needs to scale bigger to fit huge volumes of transactions. So mining stays profitable by collecting large amounts of individual transactions into a block. And that's mm-hmm. why we are so urgently scaling fast not just for payment transactions. And I know people say, oh, well, there's not enough payment transactions on the network to warrant a bigger block. But we're building a big highway so that people will come bring their applications and products to it, not just payments. So there's already on Bitcoin SV companies developing supply chain management solutions, payment networks, game applications, content delivery systems that drive and will drive more transaction volume onto the chain and therefore provide the miners with the transaction fee revenue that is needed to sustain the long-term health of the chain. Otherwise, over time, mining will become less and less profitable, and you'll see miners disappear from BTC. One of the biggest debates of you know increasing the block sizes to you know extreme sizes, say two gigabytes, as you said, is the throughput needed by individuals mining uh, for their internet or the infrastructure from their country. I mean, so countries that can handle this would be you know uh, developed countries like the United States mm-hmm. or Europe or even China. China could handle the throughput needed to just download, process, transact, and then mine these block sizes. Keeping the small block size is one of the ideas behind it is so that everybody still can have uh, a piece of the system, a piece of the pie, be part of that network. Also, it, it appears that with bigger block sizes, and I know this is not a one-on-one, so anybody who's listening to this right now, uh, please go back to uh, one, uh, one-on-one episodes about scaling debate with Mr. Doug Pike, other blockchain podcasts and Crypto 101 lineup to further understand about Bitcoin the scaling debates, block sizes and mining and all that. But another one is, you know, just the centralization of the possible centralization of the miners that are going to need it because they're going to have the ASIC miners, the best, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, capabilities to process these huge transactions, plus the Internet, plus all these other things. It seems as though this idea would be taking the the average consumer or the average person out. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, Yes, absolutely it is. And I want to take this moment to disabuse the notion that Bitcoin was created to be a system where all individuals like you and me sitting at home would be running nodes at home in order for the system to run. You know, Bitcoin was created to be a global electronic cash system. And while it is peer-to-peer, if you want to achieve a vision of global usage, 5 billion people around the world using 
Bitcoin. You can't expect a system where, you know, my mother, my sister, your friends, everyone's running a full node, right? That's just not how it would achieve massive scale. And so the desire by the BTC camps and even some on BCH to protect the ability of all home users to run a node and therefore keep the block small, I think that's just a fallacy. Um, I, it was very clear from early Satoshi writings that Satoshi predicted on certain blog posts the rise of server farms. And and everyone's not supposed to run a full node with the whole copy of the blockchain, which will grow in data size. Instead, the Satoshi white paper, the very, you know, the original Bitcoin white paper contemplated simplified payment verification wallets, right? So that you would essentially have a lightweight wallet and, you know, me sitting around on my mobile phone, I don't have the whole blockchain. And so... I think there's been this false narrative all these years that we have to protect the ability of everyone to run a node. That's not the end state for a global monetary system. Think about it this way. Do we all run email servers to send email to each other? Do we all run internet uh, hosting servers for us to have websites? No, those are all run by big companies. And I think that's where we're going to move to uh, in Bitcoin. And there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't mean there'll be just one company mining. There'll probably be many big corporations, maybe right. even governments, and there will be still competition. But I think it would it's really strange to think that we all need to run our own Bitcoin node or we all need to run our own Lightning Network node, which is what you know BTC is moving to because they don't want bigger blocks. Everyone's going to run a Lightning Network node. Our vision is Bitcoin as a massively scaled blockchain data ledger that is both a money system for the world as well as the global enterprise blockchain. And we will operate on a single public blockchain like the world operates on a single global public internet. And that requires massive scale. And that is why our vision is going back to the original Satoshi vision, which predicted massive scale server farms and uh, the ordinary person using lightweight wallets. What about decentralization? Decentralization is one of the holy grails of the crypto community, of what a lot of people in the crypto space is working on. Do you think that, or do you find important keeping that decentralized aspect of the blockchain? I think it depends on what you mean by decentralization. I think people. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. People have confused that term. They have decided that, um, you know, at the end of the day, what a decentralized electronic cash system means is that no one person, right, should be able to control it. No one person or government or other entity should be able to tell you you can or can't send money, right, or, or to control the money supply. Right. Bitcoin already has that. And that's why it's so important to have a locked protocol. If you allow developers to constantly make changes, like there's rumors that some people in the BTC camp be to deal with the block reward happening are talking about increasing the 21 million supply on BTC. That, that's just outrageous. Giving developers the power to do that is really centralizing it. And this is why Craig Wright, our chief scientist, has been saying, if you lock the protocol, then you take away power from anyone to change the monetary system that is Bitcoin. And so that's what our vision mm -hmm. advocates. And I think that is more decentralized. It's not a question of how many miners there are. It's not a question of how many exchanges or wallet operators there are. It's about who has power or not to change the monetary system. And by our vision, if you lock the protocol, no one has the power to change the system, whether there are 10 miners or a thousand miners. If you lock the protocol, are you still susceptible to a 51% attack? And if you are, and say large corporations are mining BSV, it's a possibility, a very big possibility that one government or one corporation would have that 51%. You know, I, I, I know people like to talk about the threat of a 51% attack, but it's not in anyone's economic interest to do that if they're also mining on the network because it harms their own value of their own coins. And I think that's what people have to understand about Bitcoin, that you have to set aside the theoretical possibility of something for what is in people's economic interests. The question was, can it be susceptible to a 51% attack? And do you see that a certain entity would own 51% of the hash power? The future outcomes of what they'll do for it in their incentives is not, uh, I, I don't want to predict the future. That's not for me to predict or who would do what with it. Sure, correct. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that the question of whether someone owns 51% or more of the hash power is a different question than whether or not if they do, they're economically incentivized to attack their own network. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I, but I'm asking the 51% question. And I'm saying that just because someone, whether someone, it's B always theoretically possible, even on the BTC network now, for someone to come own 51% of the hash on the network, right? That's always- As we know, and that, that's always been a debate, especially with the large uh, mining pools that are developing and who owns how much and who's making those miners that are people are mining with. That's absolutely a question. I think it's always been a question. Right. And so that's what I, I, I think, that's why I think the question is, I don't want to say irrelevant, but it's always existed for the entire life of Bitcoin and all other cryptocurrencies, right? That there is a possibility that someone accumulates more than 51% of the network. But as Craig and I talk about quite often, even if you do that, there's not an economic incentive because it takes so much money to acquire that amount of hash power. You don't have much economic incentive to disrupt your own network. And it does the lock protocol in any way protect against that? Well, what the lock protocol does is prevent a developer group, right, from making significant changes that would undermine the validity of your Bitcoin as money, right? 
in our view, if I send you a transaction today, it should be equally valid in 10 years in the future what that is worth. And uh, in terms of you know what the, the system has set up, and people shouldn't be able to change that. The, the lock protocol doesn't affect what happens in terms of mining hash, but it prevents the ability of an exchange, a developer, any company uh, disrupting the fundamental economics of the Bitcoin system. Going into the founder and the chief scientists of uh, BSV, uh, Mr. Dr. Craig, Dr. Craig or Doctor, Wright, yes. tell us his involvement with BSV and how he created it, or if it was his brainchild, or if he just uh, adopted it. Can you tell us a little bit about the history? Sure. Well, you know, to put it simply, our view is that Bitcoin SV is the original Bitcoin. It's the only chain continuing the protocol that started with the Genesis block in January of 2009. So while people may perceive it as a newer fork, because its name emerged last November after the hash war. It, in our view, it's the only chain continuing the original. So when you get to the question of what is Craig's involvement, Craig has been out very vocally over the past few months, declaring and using legal process to demonstrate that he is Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin. So his ultimate involvement is creating what we're all working on to begin with and what birthed the entire world of cryptocurrency. And uh, his involvement with Enchain is his chief scientist. He designs and creates a lot of the innovations that are leading to what is one of the world's largest blockchain patent application portfolios in the world for innovative use of blockchain technology focused on the Bitcoin SV blockchain. And he is our visionary uh, that you know leads a lot of the direction we have. We have a development team at Enchain that actually does the coding work and builds you know, uh, based upon what Craig envisions, but he's our lead visionary and the visionary of Bitcoin. A question about PR. Craig Wright is a very controversial individual. Do you think that his controversy is helping or hurting the he cause? He is provocative. Uh, he is controversial because he's willing to take on a lot of the false narrative that's happened. Certainly there are things that happen that are unfortunate because he's provocative, such as the delisting of BSV by certain exchanges. But what I've, I have learned is that sometimes it takes someone of his provocative nature to force people to confront the truth, right? To force people to confront, oh, did BTC core developers actually screw up Bitcoin by locking its block size to one megabyte and pursuing off-chain scaling solutions, which could lead to the death of the chain if miners don't stay profitable? It, it, people have been saying that, but not as vocally as he is. And he takes a lot of the arrows. So while I recognize sometimes in life, your job could be easier if someone wasn't controversial, I also fully accept the fact that Craig would not have accomplished everything he did and created everything he did uh, without being exactly who he is. And that's a someone who forces people to look at the truth and is not afraid of being saying it in an impolite way. Excellent. What was the news that came out today about BSV, the Satoshi White Paper, and Craig Wright? Can you, can you go through that uh, really quick, please? Sure. Uh, it's big news day for us. Craig Wright, in part, as part of his efforts to establish that he is, in fact, Satoshi Nakamoto, creator of Bitcoin, has been granted two copyright registrations from the U.S. Copyright Office for the original Bitcoin white paper, as well as most of the original Bitcoin client software, the code. Um, uh, and the Copyright Office granted him the copyright registrations under the name Craig Stephen Wright, recognizing that he authored the works under the name 
Satoshi Nakamoto. To get granted a copyright, what do you have to do to prove that this is your writing? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I ask that not to debate, but to understand the process so everybody understands that either it was a valid process or maybe there is other things they should have looked at before granting that copyright. Sure. So um, this was actually an unusual process because I followed it as, as he was doing it. He submitted copyright applications to the copyright office. And what's really interesting here is the copyright examiners, once they received his applications, acted on it very quickly. Usually these things, because I was an IP lawyer in the US for a long time, you know, the copyright office, sometimes it could take six months to get a response back. He got a response back, I think, within a week by email. And the, it was the examiner uh, asked a number of questions about the applications, including they were aware that the white paper as well as the code were famed pieces of work. And uh, that there were questions in the public about who Satoshi Nakamoto was. So they asked him to verify that he, in fact, was the author and was Satoshi Nakamoto. He did so. He provided them further information about that. And it was only after he did that that they granted the registration. So I want people to know this was not just a simple rubber stamp by the Copyright Office, which people think normally happens there. Um, this is, was a situation where the examiners knew this was a famous paper, the Bitcoin white paper, and that there were questions about the, you know, about who was Satoshi Nakamoto and only awarded the registration certificates after Craig answered those questions. In a nutshell, if you could, what is the overall differences between Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, BSV, and any other Bitcoin branded or named cryptocurrencies out there? And I asked this question to show everyone the differentiation in, in a nutshell, please. Yes, it can be confusing. Very simply, Bitcoin SV is the only Bitcoin project following the original Bitcoin white paper. A protocol and design is committed to keeping that locked and is the only one committed to massive, massive scaling. BTC, Bitcoin Core, what people think is Bitcoin, is staying small blocks. Bitcoin Cash uh, is still at 32 megabyte blocks where we're going much bigger and they don't have the grand vision that we have where the Bitcoin blockchain powers not just the world's money system, but is the data ledger for all big business enterprise applications. So we have a much grander vision and that is the original Satoshi vision. So that's the biggest difference. Um, And I know that can be difficult for people to understand, but it's the easiest way to think about it is if we're going to build a blockchain, why would we build a blockchain to stay small? We want to build a blockchain that is going to power the world's commerce and enterprise applications. Excellent. And if somebody wants to know more about BSV, where can they find more information? Sure. Um, They can go to bitcoinassociation.net. That's the industry organization I run, which is committed to Bitcoin SV. Um, If you're looking for more technical information, go to bitcoinsv.io. That is the website for the development team, which reports on developments in the client software, as well as our scaling test network. We have a test network where they're testing out massive scaling. In fact, I saw news to do it today. They're running tests and they're hitting 150 megabyte blocks and higher on a scaling test network. Um, so there's a lot of exciting things happening. And also, they can come to the CoinGeek conference, which is next week in Toronto, where all the Bitcoin SV leaders will be, including me and Craig Wright, uh, May 29th and 30th at the Carlu in Toronto. Excellent, excellent. May 29th and 30th, that's the ahead of the Crypto Chicks conference, isn't it? Yes. All right, excellent. Mr. Jimmy Wynn, Chairman of the Strategic Advisory Board for NChain, thank you for coming on Crypto 101, sir. Thank you so much. Happy to give you a little 101 on Bitcoin SV. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Jimmy, thank you very much for coming on the show and being so forthcoming about Dr. Craig Wright and Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. I'm looking forward to interviewing Dr. Craig Wright in person, hopefully 
in Toronto. And before we go, I will give my two cents. Here's my two cents on Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and Bitcoin SV. When you're analyzing the three, first, you need the information to understand what you want out of a Bitcoin. Second, you want to know how it's going to operate. And third, you want to know who's going to be running the network. Once you understand completely those three aspects, think about what you want in the world. Because what we're doing here is we are making a new system, a new financial system, a new societal system, a new system of transacting, and a new system of trust. Also, a whole new way of thinking. So when you do analyze Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, well, Litecoin, Monero, or any other cryptocurrency or digital asset, think about if it represents you. Because we are in the opportunity right now, right now, to use our personal convictions, our morals, our ethics, our vision for the future, and support technology, people, and ideas that are going to shape that future. So in a nutshell, my two cents is learn as much as you can and make a decision not based off of your income, not based off of when moon, but how you envision the future. Thank you, Randy, for editing this episode. In our next episode, we have Mr. James Altucher, and I'm looking forward to you listening to an interview with one of my podcasting heroes. We'll see you in future episodes of Crypto 101. How's everybody receiving those uh, papers that you wrote about Craig Wright? I mean, I think that most people found it to be enlightening. Um, not much of what I published was unknown, but it was just spread out all over the place. So mm -hmm. unless you did a lot of your own research, you wouldn't know that stuff. And, you know, I basically just wanted to create a comprehensive article that portrayed as much of the evidence as possible. And um, clearly, yes, it is a biased article. I'm, I'm trying to steer the user towards one conclusion. And what is that <laughs> conclusion? Uh, well, the conclusion is that it's probably not a good idea to trust Craig or anything that he says. Okay. Um, but this, the, there's an overwhelming amount of evidence of, of things that he has uh, fabricated over the years and things that have shown that he may not necessarily know as much about this space as he claims to. That episode with Jameson Lop coming soon to Crypto 101 and Evolvement Podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.